do not know who this man is, most of you, and those who may know his name and somewhat about him, uh, God has taken him uh, through a lot of different things in life. We tend to believe that unless everything is perfect, something is wrong. Now, perfect means the way we view things. But come to find out that down through time, if you'll let patience have her perfect work, you will find out that as you go on, you look back, and a lot of that is what made you a better person through Christ. See, we would all choose to be spoiled brats, and we wouldn't say that. But I don't want anything to happen, everything go my way, I don't want to run into any trouble. That's a spoiled brat. I'm all for that. Doesn't work real well. I'd like to have that. But you come to find out, little old Mateo, great illustration, Mateo fell one day. And Mateo, uh, he's so cool. I love Mateo. And uh, what he did, he was right back here after church one day. He just tripped. He's about maybe two. But he just took it. And he fell, and he hit that metal piece right here between his eyes. And I mean, the blood just came pouring out. And he just sat there looking around. And they picked him up, and, and he eventually had to have six stitches. And uh, he, he just, I, I'll go like this, Mateo. And he goes, so he does his neck will get all fat and his face all fat. You know, imagine like that, you know. And uh, now later on, it becomes bragging rights. Somebody else said, how'd you get that scar? And I was just going to look at him, it's bragging rights. You ever notice nobody writes books on, I had a life where nothing exciting ever happened? Let me write 15 volumes on my life and how everything went my way. Who writes books like that? But just like the book of Job, you read about Job and go, man, he got right through it, didn't he? And he ended up still living for God. Wow, that's really good. You come to find out that's what helped make Job even a better Christian. The Bible said Jesus was made perfect through suffering. You would be a better person if you allowed God to bring some suffering into your life. After you suffered a while, make you perfect, strengthen, establish, settle. We like all that, but the first one, don't we? Why do we have to suffer? Um, believe it or not, sometimes it's good for us. So, oh, welcome back to Baptist Church. Uh, I said, man, I didn't come here for this. I'm a friend. Thank the Lord. Uh, yeah, you meant the church down the street, but we don't do that here. Uh, but anyway, I'm glad to have you here. Brother Smell has been through a lot. Uh, family, churches, relationships, uh, work, you name it. Been through a lot of different things. And you watch a person go, that seems like a nice guy. And he is. Great guy. And, uh, but it's not the lack of going through hardships. It's because of. seems odd anymore, Lord, that you walk along and that gang you started with, those fellows you started with, those people that you started with, what a crowd. Boy, there was a lot of them. Man, oh man, they were everywhere. And then a long time goes and we find out that what happened to them? Where are they? Does anybody know? And then come find out that now the crowd is smaller, less. Oh, it's not that truth has changed. Change. And now we look around, and it is rare to find those after 25, 30, 40 years, 50 years, 
still traveling the same road. Maybe we walk a little slower, still the same road. Maybe we carry our Bible a little lower in our hand, but same truth. We still go to church. We still are thankful for the things God has done for us. But there seems to be a little less than there used to be for the older people. But now we have a new crowd coming. Lord, I pray that you'll bless them. May they see what God has for them also. May they realize that in their life, it is their opportunity to do something for God, but they're going to have to learn to walk with you no matter what comes in their life. Please bless them. Thank you for my friend that is here this morning going to preach to us. I pray, dear Lord, that you empower him, give him, help him keep his mind off of the hurts and problems that he may be facing, that he'd empty himself and let you fill him this morning to be a blessing to us. Lord, I love you. I thank you for Jesus Christ and ask for your help this morning. For Christ's sake, we pray these things. Troubled sea, the one who fed the thousand. 
so many things to say right now, and I'm thinking, should I just talk and not preach, or what should I do today? Uh, but uh, when you come here, you only get so much time, and you've got to do all these things. I'm so glad to see Dr. Gary Mann. I had no idea he was going to be here, and I've changed my sermon just because he's here. Uh, <laughs> so I'm glad. See, I, I always hung out with older people, him and your pastor, that I'm a lot older than I am. I just look older than them, but they actually are older than I am. And uh, I'm thinking that that facial hair looks like Uncle Sam. Anyway, um, he and I have a lot of, uh, we go way back too, and, and uh, we have a lot of similarities. He, he played drums in rock band before he gave his life to the Lord, too. And uh, what was it called? Glass Harp? Glass Menagerie? Something glass, wasn't it? Okay. Uh, <laughs> bottled up. I don't know what it was. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. <laughs> so, see, that's the thing. When the Lord changes your life, it really does take a change. Now, he, he normally wouldn't be here. He usually plays the man for Rod Parsons, but um, he's here today. So, it's a joy to see him. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, I love your pastor. And the, the Sunday school lesson is outstanding today. And uh, it's sad. We've got to face so many silly things today that we 
just took for granted back in the you know, 70s, 80s, 90s, and now it's a fight, it's nutty. But, uh, but he, we nailed it down on Salvation Day in Sunday school, and uh, just thank God for our friendship. 33 years, and think about what was here. Uh, like people would party in uh, beer cans and things like that. That was just the deacon's party before the building was built. years. I was driving in, preacher, and I, and I thought about how this area has grown up around you. Uh, it wasn't nowhere near like this when this building was built. Uh, the different buildings and stores and things weren't here, and it has grown up around you on purpose. And so this is, I, I feel, a very strategic, needed church, a very strategic, needed area in Columbus, Ohio. I give you one prayer request, and then I can uh, tell you a real quick story. thing, and we think, and the Cleveland Clinic has told us, they do not know of another uh, person with Down syndrome to have had the surgery in history. Well, there may have been, they said, there may have been, but they don't know of it, and uh, so it may be history making, so now we got a newspaper that wants to do an article, and you know, on and on, that's not what I'm talking about, pray for her health. Uh, she has a disease called primary sclerosis polymeritis, which attacks the Transplant will help her. It's not going to keep her alive forever, but it will help her maybe for the next 10 years. You think about it, it's August 1st. Uh, pray for her, particularly my wife, and that's obviously much heavier on her and more difficult on her. Last November, the last, since the last time I saw you in November last year, uh, I had a problem with my knee, and they did a meniscus surgery, and that didn't solve it. So they said, well, it's bone on bone. You're going to have to replace the knee. And so they replaced the knee. The only problem is they didn't do it right. And uh, my knee swelled up to like the size of a melon, and uh, and then uh, I, I started having blood clots I didn't know about, and tremendous amount of pain. So you know, a week after surgery, I go right back in to a different hospital with a different surgeon, and he takes it out, he gets all the blood clots out, cleans it out, and reinstalls it. So I had the second one, and uh, and while that before that was being done. So, uh, my wife was a little upset. Uh, <laughs> um, she said, I was praying out in the hallway. I'm too young to be a widow. Uh, but anyway, um, I got a friend, Jimmy McCullough. You know, Jimmy McCullough, he's a good cut up anyway. And so, he calls me on the phone when I come back, you know, into conscious life here. And uh, he says, man, he says, you died. He said, uh, was, it, was it real bright? And white where you were, and I said, I don't remember anything like that. I don't remember anything. And he said, You mean you didn't see anybody with white uh, gowns on? And no, I didn't see anybody with white gowns. It wasn't somebody telling you to come on or go off, and you know, whatever. And I, I said, No. He goes, Huh? He goes, When you die, maybe you're not going where you think you're going. <laughs> so I fixed him. I took him off my prayer list. Uh, Luke chapter 21, stand if you would please, I'm going to begin reading to you in verse number 25, thank you for the privilege to be here, I was just so uh, thrilled just coming and then uh, so graciously treated coming into my 
hotel, and I appreciate our friendship and I sure love your pastor and his family and this church. Luke 21, verse 25, Jesus speaking here, he says, And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and the stars upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Here's our text. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. I will preach to you this morning on the subject, It's not falling apart, it's coming together. And Father, help us this morning as we meet for church on this anniversary of this wonderful church, seeing uh, thousands upon thousands saved and baptized, and the result of it has been an influence in this area, second to none. We thank you, Lord, for the diligence, the perseverance, the faithfulness of this pastor, who through the fires and still stand and be the same and do the things of God. And now, Lord, the people of God that are here, we're so grateful for this place. Now, bless, I pray, as we meet, we start this conference, as we begin serving you on this day. I pray that you'll use this message. Holy Spirit, help me now. I yield for the power of God. Speak through me the things of life and help us to do justice to these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the truth be told, this morning, since uh, March of 2020, we've been living in the strangest time we've ever lived in as our lives in American citizens. I'm 63 years of age, and I've never seen anything like the last two years, particularly in the church. And you had told me prior to 2020 that something would happen in China that would affect the whole world. I'd have said, you watch too much TV. <laughs> I mean, I grew up on TV in the 70s. You know, and this is like a, a 70s bad made-for-TV movie, you know. The, the, the pandemic that destroyed the world. Uh, that's what it seems like. And it's the strangest thing, and I never thought we'd ever see anything like that. But the truth is, and you'll have many authorities who will tell you the same thing, we may never get out of this. And while we don't wear masks inside of Walmart or even on the airplanes now, it may come back. Because we now are generating more cases of COVID than before and more deaths by it. If you just check the records from a year ago, it's a lot more than it used to be. And it may come back in full strength or a different strain or whatever it is. I talked to my parents last night. They live in the Toledo area. And uh, both of them were just uh, tested positive for COVID. Both of them have had every type of shot you can get. All the boosters and all the different shots, and, and both were heavy advocates for uh, vaccines. And I, you know, I, I'm, I'm the, my parents are in their 80s, and I'm the son, and I'm trying to support. And, uh, and, and, you know, if you feel like you need a vaccine, then get a vaccine. Don't, don't throw it down my throat. That's all I ask. And let me choose too, all right? Uh, and uh, so they were, you know, real, you know, son, you need to get your vaccine. And, and, uh, and so, I, 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 you know, I'm glad they got it. And maybe now they got the COVID, it's not as going to be as bad with the vaccine, but it hasn't kept them from it. See, there's nothing that's keeping us from it. And it's not going away. 
and it's affecting American life. Now, don't be surprised when all this stuff comes back, and now the masks come back, and the push for vaccines come back, and all that crazy stuff we just got out of. But because of this, it has brought much uncertainty into our life. And there are very few things we're certain of. We're not certain of our health. I've heard from two different churches that went to camp last week, came back with half their campers with COVID. They didn't go to camp thinking they were going to come down with it, but they came back with it. They had no idea. You don't have an idea. Hey, I, I went and had a knee surgery, didn't know I was going to die there in the opera. I had no idea that was going to happen. Nobody knows. There's uncertainty. You're not going to be certain of your job. Many jobs are closing down or changing. And, uh, and then there are a lot of people, I have, you know, I've never been somebody to, to, to give money to somebody on the side of the road when you stop. Who are, who are telling me they're poor or homeless, but I bet you can't do it now when you can walk in any place, including McDonald's, and make 16 bucks an hour. I mean, really, you just don't want to work. That's all. Anyway, that's not even that's not even in my notes. I don't know how that got in there. Uh, you cannot be certain of your freedoms, especially with the president we've got. You have no idea if we're going to be free before he leaves the office. You have no idea of what's going to take place in most things. And many people, not this church, but many people have lost their churches during the last two years. Because I am now the president of a Bible college, I, every once in a while I'll get uh, somebody called and say, we're looking for a pastor. Can you help us? you got a graduate or you got a recommendation. You know somebody. And uh, so there was a church that's probably about a half hour from where I live in Mansfield and contacted me. And they said, here's the, the thing. We've got a uh, paid-off building, and it's a 10,000-square-foot building, and uh, we have $15,000 in the bank, and uh, we have seven members left. But we're in an area of 20,000 people, and there is no other Bible-preaching church in this area. So, can you help us? Yeah, I'll be glad to. And in the course of about three months, I was able to send them five, what I felt like were pretty decent prospects for them to vet out to see if they were going to pray and find out if this was God's will. And I let about another three months after that go by, and I contacted them. I said, hey, how are these guys working out? Have you found your pastor yet? Well, we changed our mind. I said, you changed your mind. Yeah, we got together, the seven of us got together, and we decided to vote to shut the whole thing down. I said, why'd you shut it down? They said, because we don't feel like doing this no more. Really? And if somebody's going to get in that city and put a church there, now they've got to find a building and have money and find people. And you had all that, and you gave it up because you don't feel like doing it no more. And thus is the time and age in which we live. It is like no other time in existence of American history. But what has become seemingly evident, almost as a certainty, is that this is all becoming a perfect storm for the arrival of the Antichrist. Because the Bible tells us in Second uh, 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 First Thessalonians 5.3, when chaos and confusion are there, there'll be talks of peace and safety. And that's exactly what we get from our government, peace and safety. We're all about peace and safety. We'll take your freedom away to give you safety. And that's what it's about. And so, but hey, listen, if you're a Bible student, you know if it's a perfect storm for the coming of the Antichrist, it's also a perfect storm for the coming of Jesus. Because the trumpet of God's going to sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet in Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. <coughs> that's coming soon, friend. You say, well, how soon do you think that's going to be? 
I played cornet when I was in junior high. Cornet is a trumpet that never grew up. That's what it is. And one of the great things about it, in trumpets or cornets, is they got spit valves. And the reason it's so great is because when you're in junior high, you're not worried about impressing the girls. You're worried about grossing out the girls. And the spit valve works great. And we'd sit there in band practice and say, you know, to get ready, the conductor's getting ready, and we blow spit out of that thing, and those girls go, ooh, and a bit of, you know, long, anyway. Uh, <laughs> I think Gabriel's up in heaven with his trumpet. I think he's been blowing that thing clean and making sure there ain't no spit in there because when God says, hey, I blow the trumpet, Gabriel, I want my children to come home, he needs to be ready for that to happen, and I'm telling you, it's about to happen, friend. He's that close sending Jesus for us. You know, when I gave my life to the Lord in the 70s, yes, there was cars, there were cars then, and uh, potato chips and things like that, but um, uh, when I gave my life to the Lord in the 70s, you know, one of the primary topics of preaching was the second coming of Christ, and it was, my pastor preached twice as much on that as anything else. And so he had us in our church so rapture ready that if we walked outside and there was a strange cloud configuration, we were sure the Lord's going to come any second. Honestly, and we were serious about it. Serious. There were six of us young men who were engaged that worked at the same place we worked at. It was called then American Hospital Supply in Ovex. I think it's called Cardinal or something anyway. Uh, but, But we all worked there. And we worked the same shift, and we worked around the same areas, and we took our breaks and lunches together because we're from the same church. And, uh, and so here we are. We're all getting prepared and ready to be married. And our preacher keeps hammering into us about the Lord's return. So we talk about it during breaks and lunch, and then invariably somebody, sometimes it was even me, we'd end it by saying, I just hope the Lord doesn't come until I get married. As though marriage is better than going to heaven. Wow, did we find out? But anyway, <laughs> you say, oh, that's pretty simple. That's how I was indoctrinated scripturally. That it was that real. And, and there wasn't anything wrong with that. But my pastor was one of those people that believed that the fig tree generation ended in 88, and so he wanted to get us ready behind that. But the, the truth of the matter is, we're only supposed to have been watching for his return. And though the mind of the general public is that this is all falling apart in our world, it is the consensus of our society, it is the consensus of Democrats and Republicans alike, saved and lost, those who are uh, uh, good and bad are all believing the world is falling apart, the economy's falling apart, the government's falling apart, the uh, society's falling apart, and even the church is falling apart. And yet I tell you by the Bible, it's not falling apart, it's coming together. This is exactly what Jesus is telling us is going to happen. Let me show you what I'm talking about in our text verses in Luke 21. Prophecies about a time that has yet not yet come, but is soon arriving. And when we read in our text verses, it's specific only to Luke's gospel account. Now, you know there are four accounts of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And uh, why are there four? Why, why not just one that gives you everything? Well, every one of them gives you a little bit different insight, and this one is only found in Luke. It's, it's like if I took any four people in here, even if they're from the same family, 
and let them watch the same exact situation. And then tell them to write a report on it. They would all talk about something different. Some would talk about the background. Some would talk about the characters in it. Some would talk about uh, the sky or the weather or whatever. Everybody give you some, and they'd all be telling the truth. Which it tells me that the individuality of the believer does not contradict the doctrine of the scriptures. They each shed light on the same subject. And that's exactly what you have here in Luke. And you pay close attention here to Luke's emphasis. Jesus is talking in verse 25 about the signs that will be in heaven. And then he says in the same verse, he says, Upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. Now watch. These are things and happenings that cannot be described or completed. We cannot figure out how to We're perplexed. We don't know how to solve it. Can you imagine that there could be a, a virus that would affect the entire world and nobody in the known world knows how to stop it? It's unbelievable. It's that we're perplexed. After our buildings were knocked down in New York City on uh, September 11th, we were perplexed with terrorism. We didn't know what to do with it. We didn't know how to solve it. This is what Jesus is saying. It's going to take place upon the earth distress of nations because they're perplexed at what to do. It's affecting us. Then he ends verse 25 and saying the seas and the waves roaring. Tsunamis. Hurricane Katrina several years ago. Recently more, Hurricane Laura. Devastation. I've got a pastor friend in uh, 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 Panama City, Florida. Four years ago, a uh, uh, tsunami <laughs> went through their hurricane and went through and wiped out the entire city. Most people don't know about it. I didn't even know about it. I'm his friend. And uh, they had to rebuild everything, hospitals, schools, city buildings, and churches. His church was decimated. So it's taken four years. This is this Sunday is the first Sunday in four years they've had their church. Four years they've met in underneath tents and in little uh, uh, lean-tos and so forth. And then finally they got the fellowship hall up. And he sent me pictures yesterday of, uh, of everything, the new auditorium, everything. And this is their first Sunday in four years to meet in their church. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus said would take place, that there would be sea and waves roaring. And then verse 26, men's hearts failing them for fear. Fear has gripped our society. We're terrified of something we've got a 99% recovery rate of. I've never been afraid to get the flu. I don't like the flu. But I'm not afraid to get it. I'm not afraid of getting this either. You say, well, don't you understand? You get it, and, and you, it could be a bad case, and you could die and go to heaven. Well, that'd be a bad thing, wouldn't it? Well, you're telling me scary stuff. I'd hate to die and go to heaven and see Jesus tonight. I mean, I don't have a death wish, but at the same time, you know, my, my wife was terrified that I had died there. And, and oh, she said, this is what I pray for. I'm too young to have a... To, to be a widow. And, uh, you know, and she said, you're not bothered by that. I, I, I was about ready to be in heaven. Why should I be bothered, you know? I was thinking I wouldn't have to mow grass this week. <laughs> this fear has caused many people's hearts to fail in the ways of the Lord. There are still people that haven't come back to church yet. I had one pastor that I preached for, he bemoaned the fact, he said, 60% of my congregation have yet to come back. He said, I don't believe they ever will. I said, what you've learned is what your church was really made of. It's sad to say, but fear is keeping them away from 
the things of God. Or they had a reason to stay away from the things of God. Maybe it wasn't fear. Do you realize that in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, the very first thing in the description of things that will keep people out of heaven, it says, but the fearful, and even before unbelieving, God tells us fearful people will be lost without Christ. You think this is just all falling together? Just what a coincidence all these things are happening. And Jesus takes the subject of fear a little farther. He says, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, fear of the unknown, fear of the future. You say, Brother Smell, these things are not yet fully come. They're upon a time that isn't happening yet. You might be mischaracterizing uh, these scriptures. Well, look again at our text. And you tell me if I am. And when these things, what's the next word in your King James Bible? Begin to come to pass. Then look up. And lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Begin. They have begun. This is here and this is now. It has begun. It's happening. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to hear me out this morning. I'm a Bible believer from the top of my receding hairline to the bottom of my cowboy boots. I believe the Bible from cover to cover. I even like the covers of it. This is the inspired, the infallible, the inerrant word of God. It's preserved unto this generation. You have God's words in your hand, friend. If you've got a King James Bible, you're all right. I don't doubt it. I don't debate it. I'm not trying to change one thing here. But I am telling you that this day, this verse is fulfilled in your lifetime. You are seeing it with your eyes and hearing it with your ears. I tell you this morning that what I'm giving you is not a hope of a uh, message of despair. It's a message of hope. For it's not falling apart as many people believe. It's coming together as Jesus said it would come. You see, the thing is, we always uh, don't include Jesus into our formulas. And so when we look at society, oh, the, the economy's falling. I drove down the road the other day and I saw $3.89 a gallon. I remember not long ago paying five oh nine a gallon where I live, and I'm thinking, man, I, I almost wanted to have somebody siphon the gas on my car so I could get it filled at three eighty nine and tell somebody about it. Might be some people here I could tell about that; and they'd help me with that. Anyway, so, oh, it's a, it, 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 we're losing, and it's not going to what it used to be, and we we can't even go to a decent restaurant. I went to Outback with a couple of preacher friends, and there wasn't a single person waiting. They said, it's going to be a 25-minute wait. And I said, for who? They said, we don't have enough people to serve you. And they say nobody wants to work. I'm trying to find where are these people that aren't working. I don't know where they are, but somebody's feeding them and take care of them because they ain't working. But we never remember inside of all these things there's a God in heaven. You know, he's not affected by a virus, and nothing in the economy changes him. And just as she sang, when she sang that beautiful song, he's still the same God. It's awesome that he's the same God, but he's the same God. When I first became a pastor in 1986, I took a church as the eighth pastor in 23 years of that church. Now, go ahead and figure out the math on that. And tell you one thing, they've been running preachers in and out of there. Well, they, I, I had heard that they were, you know, kind of chewing them up and spitting them out, but it wasn't the people, it was the preachers that were wrong. Out of those seven before me, there were three that actually left on good terms. The rest of them were 
charlatans and hirelings and ended up in sin. And uh, so here I come <laughs> in a church of 35 people. And I just believe God wanted us to be there and that God had something to do. And that there was a reason for that church in that area. 300 and some thousand people in that county which were reachable by all facets of the church. And yet nobody was running more than 75 in the, as far as independent Baptists. Ten independent Baptist churches, and nobody's running more than 75, 300,000 people to choose from. And I thought, well, there's got to be something we can do about that. And God wanted me there. And so my wife and I, I took the pastor there. And you say, well, you were the pastor. Yeah, but she was the assistant. <laughs> she did everything I didn't do. <laughs> and, uh, and so we started. And uh, so, you know, I had the, the preacher brother, and this is a good lesson for you because you're still young. How old are you? Really? Wasn't you older? I thought you were. Uh, I told the pastor before we came out, I heard so many good things, and I, my dealings with Brother Fletcher are so great. He needs a double salary from the rest of the guys. And I just I just alienated all the rest of the staff right there. Anyway, um, so uh, so here I come in. Nine other independent Baptist pastors, as I become the new pastor, they come to greet me at my new church. And you know what they're telling me? I know where you're from, but let me just tell you this. Buses don't work in this area. This is 1986. Buses don't work in this area. We tried. They don't work. And then the next guy comes in and he says, you know that thing about knocking on doors? We tried it. They don't work in this area. You can't do that here like you were taught in college. And then another dear brother comes in and he said, yeah, I, I know what type of preacher you're used to sitting under. He said, but if you get up there and you start yelling, screaming, spitting on the first two or three rows, he said, they won't come back. They'll, they'll run. He said, we know this. We've been here for years. And I mean, then one guy come and said, you know, if you have invitations and you invite people, they won't come down because they'll just sit back there and look at you and you'll be embarrassed that nobody shows up at the altar. So I'm just trying to help you out, brother. Just trying to be a friend to you. This is what they're saying. Said, you can't do it here like they taught you. You should be able to do it. Well, what'd you do? I ignored every one of them. I figured if you're still running 50 people after 20 years, I ain't going to listen to what you got to say. And I started doing what I knew was right. I, I learned it when I was a layman. And then now I'm in, in after being in college, and, and I, so I just put it into practice. And pretty soon, uh, you know, 35, where we started with 35, I had a 400-seat auditorium, 35 people. I had one family sat on the second row, and everybody else sat right across the back. Man, if I just had wheels on my pulpit, it would be so much easier, you know. <laughs> And so there were 35, and then pretty soon it was 50, and then pretty soon we were running 75, and then it was 100. By the time we were averaging 150, I announced to the church one Sunday morning, I said, three months from now, we're going to have a big day. We're going to have over 300. And those people looked at me like, yeah, <laughs> 300. We've never seen that in this church. Yeah, we're going to have 300, and you're going to help me. And uh, believe me, you're going to help me. Uh, and so we started praying and we started working. And uh, that big day came the first Sunday in October 1987, and we had 333. We saw 23 people saved and seven baptized. And those people were excited. They didn't think we could do something like that. I told them on Sunday night, I said, one day this is going to be an average Sunday in this church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they couldn't believe it. And I said, I'm telling you the truth. One day it's going to be average. Well, then next year we shot for 400, hit it, 500, hit it, 600, hit it, 12 straight years. <laughs> On the 12th year, we shot for 1,500, had 1,509 
156 people walked the aisle uh, getting saved, and 29 were baptized. I quit saying this is going to be our average attendance soon, you know. Uh, but they said, well, I, I remember those guys when they came and said, you can't run the buses, and we ran buses that day. You can't preach and hit the pulpit and spit on the front row, and I did that. And then they said, you can't have invitations. They won't come. Well, they came, and you can't knock on doors, and they showed up. Hey, listen, here's the thing. Jesus is the X factor for everything that the society says isn't going to work. And I'm telling you, when it seems like it's falling apart, it's actually about ready to come together. It depends on who you're listening to, friend. And I'd rather not listen to Joe Biden. I bet you wouldn't listen to Kamala. You know, make sure I say it right. This is a nutty society. We're so worried about all this. Dr. Fauci said today, well, who cares what he said? I'm telling you, it's what God says. And when you think it's falling apart, I'm telling you, God says it's coming together. Let me bring a last point about our text first. And don't get your Bibles put away yet. i got a few more minutes. Jesus said, when these things begin to come come to pass, he says, lift up your heads. Now, why did he say that? Because the sign of lifting the head means your head was hanging. And if your head was hanging, it was hanging for the fact that you were in despair. And maybe even discouraged or depression. That's why the world believes it's all falling apart. But these things have to come to pass. And that's why he said, when you see them beginning, You may not even be in that point of them happening, just when they begin to happen. Then lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing. I'm coming for you, is what he's saying. I'm coming to get you. It ain't going to be like this forever. It's hard to watch the persecution of the church today. It just was a few years ago under Donald Trump, we had so much freedom. And now trying to strip that away from us and make us look like we're all crazy. What's worse is that is the, the preachers are going right along with it. Yeah, I guess we got to do these things. They told us we got to do it. Uh, it's hard to watch. It's hard to watch good Christians struggling with their faith today. It's hard to watch churches compromise and change. Except what this conference you're having, you can't find this stuff happening almost anywhere. Nobody's doing it anymore. It's hard to watch it. It's hard to watch the Antichrist sentiment that's in our land today. It's hard to watch the apathy of the once on fire Christians who've cooled to a place where they don't even want to be in the church that's on fire. It's hard to watch the rewriting of our godly heritage and our history. Don't you believe you'd be better off to go back into the 40s and 50s and get the history books out and quit the nonsense of the new stuff? You don't need it. They changed it. It's hard to watch the degradation of a once holy and separate people for God. It's hard to watch churches dying and closing the doors. Oh, preacher, it's all falling apart. You know, I've lost $11,000 in my retirement since Joe Biden became my president. What a great job you're doing, Joe. Thank you for helping me out so much. If it keeps going this way, I'm going to have to work till I'm 90 to retire. I think I'm going to make it to 90, quite honestly. It's falling apart. No, ma'am, no, sir. It's coming together. So lift up your heads. You're here today as a weeping widow trying to make it work on your own. Lift up your heads. Your redemption's drawing nigh.
You're here this morning as a struggling saint, struggling with the cares of this life that are choking you. Lift up your head because your redemption's drawing nigh. If you're here as a fearful fundamentalist, afraid that you're going to lose everything that you hold dear in this world, lift up your head because your redemption's drawing nigh. If you're here this morning as a wounded warrior who's been wounded by the sins of this present evil generation, lift up your head. Your redemption's drawing nigh. If you're here as a hurting heart who's been hurt through the pain of death or disability, it's time to lift your head up. Your redemption is drawing nigh. If you're here as a backslidden Baptist, you've let your feelings control over your faith and you've walked away from God. Hey, it's time to lift your head up. Your redemption's drawing nigh. If you're here as a discouraged disciple who's discouraged by all that you see and hear in the world today, it's time to lift your head up. These things have begun to come to pass. So your redemption's also about ready to draw nigh. It's not falling apart. It's coming together. You are living in the generation that I believe fully is going to see the coming of the Lord. The generation. It may not, you may die before that, but the generation. So we're not just in the last days. We've been in the last days since Acts chapter 1, verse 11. We're in the last, last days. I told you last time I preached here about my daughter Hannah. She hasn't been in heaven since 1991. She died after over surgery, the fourth open heart surgery in her four years of life. And uh, she was in ICU for three weeks, touch and go, touch and go back and forth. And just, you know, good, bad, good, bad. And then finally God took her. Day after she died, I remember waking up and thinking, I'm never going to smile again. I'm never going to laugh again. There's nothing pleasant in this life. That's what I felt. This is the darkest I've ever felt in my life. Our only child dead. And she died for something that we felt like was the best thing for her. I'm never going to be happy again. That's what I felt. Life was over. And it's all falling apart. As you know, she was born with Down syndrome. And because of having Down syndrome, we learned that there were many churches, including our own, that had nothing for people, children, adults with special needs in the church. We started Gems and Jewels because of the fact that we had a daughter with special needs in our church. Now, last month I helped start, or two months ago, I helped start the 32nd of those ministries. And I tell you this morning, I tell you that because this morning, there are, this is conservatively speaking, at least 500 people sitting in those 32 churches that weren't in church prior to those ministries being in existence. 500 people sitting in church, in churches like this, hearing a clear presentation of the gospel, hearing a, hearing a clear, uh, pure word of God, having that, the truth and fundamental doctrines being given to them. 500 people sitting in church this morning because a child with Down syndrome was born to the pastor and his wife and she died. We thought we're, we're losing it all. We thought it was all falling apart. And now you look back over and say, no, God is just putting this together. These, these things had to be this way in order for God to put these things together. Now, that's the way it is in your life, too. But I'm telling you, dear friend, Jesus says we're come close to coming. And I would, number one, if I was you, without Christ as my Savior, I'd change that very quickly. Listen to me, young people. You've done very well listening. 
please listen though, because you could die as a teenager and go to hell. And I would hate the fact to be sitting in a church like the Anchor Baptist Church and go to hell from Anchor Baptist Church when you could have gone to heaven. And that trouble of God's going to sound so quick. You say, well, I'll get ready when it happens. No, no, no. Just in the twinkling of an eye. The next time you blink, you may not see me up here in the pulpit. And if you don't see me when you blink, it's not because I'm running and hiding. I couldn't do it anyway. It's because the rapture took place and the trump of God wasn't heard by you. You weren't saved. But the saved were taken. As fast as your eyes blink, you can't make time to change that unless you do it now. You're not saved, you need to get saved now. Say, well, what if he doesn't come in the next couple of days? Well, at least you're ready for him. I'm glad I was ready when I died in that hospital. I'm glad I was ready. I know where I'm going. I don't worry about it. Now you know where you're going. And if you know that, then the next question is, are you ready for it? Because 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28 talks about when we see Jesus hanging our heads in shame by the way we were living when we see him. You, you take care of that in the altar. And this altar will be open in just a minute, and it is still open for business. 33 years later, still happening. And it's the place where God's people do business with God. It's not the place where sorrow saints show up. It's a place where everybody that means business with God does business with God. So I can do it when I get home. Uh, no, not with HBO helping you out. It ain't going to work. If you don't do it the moment the Holy Spirit works on you, you won't do it then either. It's time to do business with God now. Let's walk out of here totally ready for the, the rapture to happen. And say, well, if it doesn't happen, I'm still ready. I'm still ready, and I'm watching every moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessings. Would you lift your hands just for a second? Is it Thursday night? Decades ago. A little more than 50 years ago on a Thursday night. Went to a church. Very few people. A few people that were there didn't seem to be paying any attention. But there was a man in there, a young man, who everything seemed to be attempting to hear. I couldn't figure it out. I was captivated by it. God seemed like somebody was talking to me inside. While he was preaching, I looked over at somebody who was not paying attention and tried to destroy him. And I looked back. He said, that's the man somebody said, you don't need to say that. Starting that night, walked out that night my car was frozen. I finally got it home the next morning. It was frozen. I took it to a gas station to get it fixed. They charged me so much money I couldn't hardly afford it. I had to borrow money from my single mom. My mom gave me money. I had to go back to the military. Going down to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. On my way down there, I hit a car broadside. It turned right in front of me on the freeway, and I slammed on the side of it, totaling my car flipped my car over several times, almost killed both of them, didn't have any money to get my car out, I was hung up on drugs, I couldn't go anywhere, didn't have any money, didn't have a job, got busted four grades in the military, almost didn't get out with it. All this happened within like a month and a half, and much, much more. 
got out and they were saved. And carried the word on. For me, that's my salvation. Here's my brother. That's what this man was preaching here. He's not concerned about his reputation when he comes to preaching to the church. He's not concerned at this point whether they like him or not. What he's concerned about is you need to be saved. That man kept coming by the house where my brother lived. And every time he'd come by, he'd talk to my mom and my sisters. On his way out, by the back door, he'd stop. And ask me to get out and go to church. I'd yell at him. I'd turn him down. I'd tell him no. I don't know how long that went on. But one night on Saturday night, we went back to that church. Oh, it was packed this time. Packed. And he sat in the fourth row on the right-hand side of that church. And my heart was as blessed as ever. I was 20. I was 20 years old. But I listened. See, you can be distracted by the world, the flesh, and the devil. You on purpose make up music in your head, act like you're in a dance program, fall asleep on purpose because you don't want to listen. Whether you do it on purpose or by accident, if you do not listen and receive Christ as Savior, if the rapture took place right now, you can't be saved. If you died right now, you'd go straight to hell no matter how old you are or what you understood. Do you understand that? This is serious. This is not just church-going people. This is serious. This is eternal life and death. Eternal life in heaven, eternal death in hell. We're talking about eternity, not just how you feel about things today. So even now, while you ignore on purpose what's being said, you're on purpose distracting yourself so you do not have to listen. While someone in front of you with experience and knowledge, knowing God's word, poured their heart out to you, and you took that opportunity, and you don't think when Jesus comes back that you're going to be ashamed? You don't think when he comes back or when God calls you finally home and you have to stand a great white throne judgment of God, that you're just going to stand and go, I just didn't understand. I just didn't like what was going on. A snotty, spoiled attitude. As though I don't have to listen. Let me tell you something. One day, whether it's at the judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne judgment, you will listen. And you will be without excuse. Because God who knows everything it's all written down, the works of your life. If you're at the great white throne judgment, don't worry about heaven or hell. You're on your way to heaven. Judgment seat of Christ, you're going to heaven. But then you're going to face the Lord to find out exactly how you spent your life according to His will to receive or lose reward. I don't think either one of these necessarily going to be great days. Let me tell you. That's me personally. I just don't think so. And yet we'll sit in church and purposely fall asleep. Shut our mind off. I don't want to hear it. Judging the preacher on what he says and does not say. We are in a mess of our own making. It's not what God did. It's our own making. He told us there's a way out. We won't take that. He told us there's hope. We'd rather be discouraged and pity ourselves. We have all these things going on from God, and yet what do we do? We continue on the same way we've walked in here. Do you know whose fault that is? Yours. What a shame. Why don't you just take a big hammer and hit yourself in the face? Say it hurts, and then do it again. I don't understand. If there was no answer, maybe we could feel sorry for you. But you were just told the answer. 
You were told the way. You were told the how. You were told what is expected. You were told everything for you to choose to walk out those doors and continue on. Everything's unfair. I only make $20 an hour. That's unfair. Everything's unfair. I'll tell you what's unfair. Jesus dying and going through all that for you. And you snub your nose and go on about your way so you can have fun. Well, why aren't you smiling? You're not smiling? It looks like you're having any fun. But you'll continue to go on that way. Well, I want to do what I want to do. Well, how's that working for you? Not working very well. Christians are giving it up left and right. Heading towards the world. They're not heading closer to Christ. They're heading closer to the world. And the world is judging Christ by what Christians are doing right now. It's not working. Anchor Baptist Church, listen to me. You live for Jesus, regardless of what other people do or what you have to go through. Whether it is of your own making or somebody else's. Jesus gave his all for you, and that's what you need to do for him in return. No price is too high. No suffering is too much. No loss is too great. You decide what you want to do. We need to learn to disagree as Christians. Father, that's just a tough thing. So I come to church, I say, Churches now, you can't get away from it. We've opened the doors and said, World, come on in here. Maybe the world would like it if we had more world in our churches. Then where do you go? How, how do you get away from all of that? I think anchor is somewhat an answer that you would use. It sounds arrogant. I believe that it is. I believe you can come in here and enjoy, and people don't treat you like you got the plague. This is serious business. This 
sort of thing comes, can't we just get together and have fun? You know what's coming towards you? It ain't fun. said so. But if you read the whole thing, it gets worse before it gets better. How far into this we're going to have to go? You at 13 may end up being 40, 50, 60 years old before that happens. What are you going to do for it? Well, that's 20, 25 years. Play, run, do what you want to do, and the rapture. Too late to do anything. Too late to get Since you've been coming to Anchor Baptist Church, time and time again, God's been trying to call you. Time and time again, the preaching's gone out. Time and time again, on the bus route, they tried to tell you about Jesus. Time and time, what do you mean it's not fair? You've had more opportunities than a lot of people have ever had. And you squandered it. You wasted it. You threw it to the wind. Because you want to do what you want to do. Not what Jesus died for. Time's running out. It's running out. You don't everybody else should say like everybody else. You think everybody out there is having fun? It's not. They're not having fun. You've been deceived. You saw a picture this morning in here of what you, what's possible for you at the rapture. Hope you make a good choice. That night, my heart broke. I didn't care who was around me, who went. Dead on the floor. in living for Christ, kind of like your Savior, who even before he came actually into the world out of his mom, they were chasing him to kill him. And you think you deserve better? 33 years, most of you aren't even married. How many times have you thought about quitting your life? How many times have you thought, I don't know why we keep doing this one. Well, I didn't know it would be like that's two. Well, I got a friend who left that's three. How many times have you entertained the thought already as a young adult or a teenager of quitting? You can make it over. You're just not that determined. It's Christ. show up and, and uh, they'll throw stuff at the casket, but whatever. 
off, you'll tear them up. Hey, get over yourself. Fall in love with the Lord. Make him your obedience to the Lord. All right? Great preaching this morning. Thank you very much. Brother Smell, be here tonight, 630. No meetings this afternoon. Please remember that. And we'll see you tonight. Y'all come back. Y'all come back. Okay. Uh, you get back here. Redhead, you get back here. Uh, Girl besides, she's left to the whole thing, so she don't even know what I'm talking about. But I'm glad that you're here. Okay? Glad you're here? You'll be all right. Good deal. You ready? Uh, what are we doing now? Okay. Um, that was my wife. Thank you very much. <laughs> some rest, get some bloody sandwich, turn on the golf channel, go to sleep, and uh, you'll be back here tonight before 6.30. It starts at 6.30. You'll be back here, get yourself a seat, and let's get ready for Faith Harbor. God bless you. You're dismissed.